the entire time I probably felt like I was not doing well. And sometimes um, there are things in your way to make you feel that way or um, to your point of, you know, having a, a stronger, more dominant personality can sometimes be seen as aggressive, can sometimes be seen as pushy. But in reality, it was just me trying to do what you hired me for and and, 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 that, and actually going out there and really showing you that I, I deserve the respect that I'm seeking. Some of you may know that I've been blessed to win two social media industry awards. Well, today's guest had a lot to do with the first one. Brittany Lay, also known as Hip Hop Cleopatra, was my colleague at Johns Hopkins Medicine. She worked on the social media team where I worked on the media team and we were able to collaborate on a lot of different projects and she really helped us gain that following and become an influencer by her support with her handle well it was one of the saddest days when she left the company however as a friend first i was happy because she would later become the brand marketing manager for downtown locker room in addition she does a lot in the hip-hop community y'all know how i'm active in wrestling she's active the same way with music so Ladies and gentlemen, up next, the one, the only, the hip-hop Cleopatra, Brittany Lay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am super excited about my guest today. I'm always excited about my guests. They're my friends. But let me tell you, the person on the line today... Somebody insert the church music because I'm about to have a testimony <laughs> is the reason that I am a two time, two time, two time social media award winning producer. First award single handedly came from our relationship at Johns Hopkins. And that is the hip hop Cleopatra, the one and only Brittany Lay. Brittany, how you doing today? Brian, nice to talk to you today. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very excited. This is awesome. How are you? I'm good, man. Um, I'm excited to have you on. I knew when. So when I first started this show, I did a list. And I had, um, you know, a wish list, as you want to call it. And you already knew you was on there. <laughs> I don't even think you might. You, you should have known that you was going to be getting this phone call soon. But um, <laughs> I know you've been super yeah. busy. Obviously, at the time we're taping or uh, recording, we're in the midst of COVID-20, um, you know, COVID-2019, unfortunately. So first and foremost, how are you doing? Are you relaxed? Are you getting a chance to rejuvenate? I am doing a little bit of both. I am um, relaxing, rejuvenating, um, going on with daily life at home and taking it one day at a time. But it's definitely an interesting time that we're in. Okay, cool. So I'm glad to hear that. You know, we're going to talk about your career. And because one thing, that's really cool is that we actually went to the same high school. You're the first city grad and must, I have to say city forever. 
we finally have City to lead over forever. the other school. Um, I knew, I know that you were initially into journalism. Did you take any journalism classes at City? Interesting that you actually said, yes, I did. That's actually where I was introduced to journalism. Um, there was a teacher, oh my God, her name escapes me right now. She was such a cool journalism teacher, but it wasn't, um, it was it was the journalism class, but what we did was we were responsible for putting out the collegiate year after year. So the class was an elective. I think it was like one or two credits or something like that. And we got to learn how to run a student newspaper. It's much like a yearbook class. Uh, you would be able to do with yearbook. Your, whoever had that particular class at the time would um, do yearbook. It was the same type of thing. But there... Um, and her class is where I got to interview um, students and walk around the school and kind of identify where there might be a story and, you know, go through the process of editing it and, you know, that whole newspaper process, which at the time was relevant. Okay. Now, did you know, like, when did you know initially that you wanted to do media? Was it something as a child or was it through high school like when did you know you wanted to be in media some way shape or form oh yeah so it was definitely part of it the still the deal was definitely that course that i took because i just felt like i was really good at it and i liked writing i'd always wanted to be a writer i had thought that i was going to be <laughs> funny enough i thought i was going to be my angelou writing poetry <laughs> right and <laughs> And be public as a poet, and Tupac was, you know, I was impressed with him and all his writing, so I just thought I was going to be in that era. And um, but when I found journalism in high school, I think that's where I was like, okay, yeah, I could do this, and I and I thrived at it, and I was good at it, so I wanted to kind of stay in that pocket. Um, it wasn't until though, I want to say, what really was something I knew that I wanted to do is um, locally in Baltimore, we have this Fox 45 News in the morning, so you can always watch that ticker if you want to see if your school lets out. And um, it's like snow days and stuff, so every morning before I caught three buses across the school from West Baltimore to East Baltimore, um, just so that I could go to the city for that type of education at the time, and um, I would be up at 5 a.m. with the morning news or 6 a.m. with the morning news, and I always saw Patrice Harris, who was, she was Patrice Harris now, but she was she was Patrice Saunders now, but she was Patrice Harris then before she got married. Um, she is my uh, chapter silver and went to Towson University as well. But she was on there as an anchor. And every morning she was just on there with her black excellence, like, hello, this is Patrice Harris with Fox 45 News in the morning. And I just knew I was gonna be just like that. I wanted to be with a kid Wednesday. I wanted to be on the news, being a news anchor. And so I thought that the way to achieve that was to go through journalism. I touched a little bit of it in, in, in high school, and then that's what I wanted to go to school for in college. Now, I didn't know y'all was uh, sorority. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's uh, a truly a uh, legend in this area. Did you – so why Towson? You know, I got to ask you that. What made you choose Towson uh, University? Oh, funny enough, I um, Towson was, to be honest with you, so because I knew what I wanted to do in high school, I looked up all the Maryland schools. This is how I decided to go to school. I looked up all the Maryland schools and their class, um, their course offerings, 
um, and then in the degrees that I could get within my major that I wanted to go for. And so I was like, Maryland, University of Maryland had one of the best um, in the country. Um, their school of communications was one of the best. Towson was like runner up at the time. Um, they had a great program as well. But I was looking for programs that would be comparable, like how you know Coppin State um, University has a a exceptional nursing program, and they are known for their nursing program there. So I wanted to go to a school that was known for its school of communication, journalism, broadcasting, things like that. So um, so I just selected one of the top schools in Maryland and so that I could get in-state tuition, and that was really a decision that happened at home, um, having conversations with my parents. Penn State was actually my first choice. Um, if I had to go out of state, um, Maryland was my second choice, and then Towson and everything else just kind of fell underneath of that. And <clears throat> something funky happened with my Maryland transcript, um, where they <laughs> claimed they didn't receive my transcript after everyone else had got their, their letters. So I didn't get in there. <laughs> um, Penn State I never applied to because it was out-of-state tuition and looking at what the cost of it was to go. Um, my dad was very clear, like, hey, even if we got in, I don't know if I can afford to send you there. And so then that, I just kind of decided, well, let me not even waste the college application fee there. And I then um, applied to Towson. And funny enough, it was a struggle because Towson uh, came back at me with, we like you, you're well-rounded, great application, but you scored a little lower on your SAT scores than the 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 top ten percent or the uh, uh, heavier percentage of your your classes and this I've never heard of this even thing happening, um, and so every other school I had gotten into I applied to Frostburg, Eastern Shore, Morgan, um, I even I, yeah pretty much all of them I got into with the exception of Maryland. Maryland didn't deny me; they just said that my application was incomplete. Um, but I just, I did not want to go to some of the other schools and so Towson was the best choice. So what I ended up doing was um, taking that letter, showing it to my principal who decided to write me a letter. I'd already had letters from some prominent folks. Like um, I had something from Nancy Grass's office at the time because I had achieved being this uh, lead conference representative for the Baltimore City School System at the time. It was a new program. So they wrote me a letter of recommendation in the college. And then um, also a few like a few counselors and people that I worked for wrote me letters in, in the college. And they wanted more because my SAT score was was a lower score than the rest of the students that were coming in um, in that year. And so once the principal wrote them a letter explaining that, saying that, hey, you know, my score is a little lower, but reality is she's well-rounded, so that's probably why. <laughs> I feel like that's what they said. That's probably why our scores are a little lower because <laughs> she's always doing stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, they ended up letting me in, and I got in. I did not get a scholarship. We paid for my first year, first semester, um, right out of pocket, everything. And then, but once I was in there, I had hustled and bustled and figured out a way to get the rest of my school and paid for. Wow, that's awesome. It's so funny. So you went to Towson. My wife went to Towson. My sister went to Towson. And my best friend Trico went to Towson. And I'm like, you know, 
y'all all right y'all like four of the people that's really really close to me and my god brother went there too two of my god brothers there so i guess i, I guess it's a good school <laughs> mm-hmm. they make <laughs> but, it easy for you man yeah so i'm a, so did you create the hip hop cleopatra brand while you were in Towson or did you create that on like be uh your first job because by the time you got to Johns Hopkins you were already full-fledged hip hop Cleopatra and I remember you know you showing me some of your um your content which we'll get into later but when did you create the hip hop Cleopatra brand? So um thank you. So yeah I actually did that after well, for, first of all, to be honest, the name came from a MySpace name that I had before there was. <laughs> Let me get that out of the way because we were like, "What is Hip Hop Cleopatra? How did you come up with that name?" It came from that's what my MySpace name was. I was big on editing pages, by family, getting into the HTML of it all, and I had created this page for mine. I wanted, I was known for dressing up my pages, and I created Hip Hop Cleopatra's page. And so once I got into college, all of that kind of went away. Facebook was booming. And when it came to start um, my penmanship name, because I was going to school for journalism and we had to start like blogs and writing platforms and use WordPress and things like that, I thought, oh, well, then I'm going to name a blog Hip Hop Cleopatra. Because I wanted my writing beat. Um, to be about music, music and entertainment lifestyle. I wanted to write music and do, um, you know, like the Sway in the Morning radio interviews. I wanted to, but tell stories though. So not like just the interview where you tell them all the questions before they get there and they're already in this kind of can to press the music, but more so the, the, the interviews you see in Rolling Stone magazine. Like I wanted to, 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 to do that as well, do it for television, radio, and writing. And that's what the beat was going to be on. I thought it would keep me interested in the topic. And I thought I had access to um, to tell stories from that from that beat. And um, that's where Hip Hop Cleopatra started to kind of rise. But it was more so out of penmanship than it was out of an, uh, an entire brand when I started. Um, the first website was called thebeamstream.com. And I did all this um, in probably the fall of 2009. And then I want to say spring 2010 is, I think we uh, went into the spring semester, still was running with the beam stream. By that time, a few people around the, the sus knew who I was or whatever. But other than that, we just... Um, other than that, I just created a new website because I had an internship um, over that summer of 2010 with Task Force Marketing and the Media Group. And when I did that internship, it gave me a way different level of access to artistry and labels and marketing opportunities and things like that, that really, really, really kind of put me into the lifestyle space and let me get creative, but also gave me the power to be the first to write about it. And so from that standpoint, I jumped in and now I really had my my hand around it, right? Because now I have a source um, and to get information. 
you know, a certain level of professionalism and relationships were being built. So I was practicing all the things that we learn in ethics and journalism. Um, but I also was kind of teeter totter in the line of marketing, advertising, PR, things like that in that space. Um, so with that being said, they were looking for ways to market in the digital age, and they didn't need someone to build and maintain websites. So that's where I came in. I kind of was going there for the be able to get the media and the content and because blogging was just becoming a new thing and everybody wanted to be a blogger and journalists were looking for avenues to be able to shift their writing skills into another platform because the newspapers were dying at the time. And that was my opportunity to make my stake in the claim that, you know, I may even, I might not, start or be able to compete with the guys the stars of Rolling Stone magazine writers, but I absolutely could be one of the first in, in this blog blogosphere. And I was. Um, I did the writer's rap, and I did um, a few other program opportunities and got really, really, really in the mix of it all within our region, which is the DMV. And um, I think that is what really helped formally hip-hop Cleopatra into the brand. All that lifestyle moving around I was doing and telling the story, hip-hop Cleopatra existed in a way because I went out to find those stories, and that's what hip-hop Cleopatra was. I was giving people a platform to be able to, to get their music out there. I was giving people a platform to tell interesting stories and still get a grade for it. I was also presenting myself as a as a student writer who wanted to tell interesting stories at a concert or whatever else. So that gave me access. Like it was just double fold. It was like, if you were a student and you were trying to get ahead, everyone let you in the door. Like, Oh, this is an intern. They're a student. Let them in. You know what I mean? They can, they can get it done. That kind of thing. Um, when you're a professional, it's a little bit harder. They want to play hardball with you. But when you're a student, you get to kind of use that to your advantage. And so I did. I, I always was throwing up my student card, like, hey, I'm a student, I'm writing a story, and I want to be able to come and shadow you guys for the day. And they're like, yeah, it's free. Come on. <laughs> and that's, so that's the one thing. advantage of a lot of those opportunities. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I oh, no, took advantage of those things. Yeah, that's the one thing I always want students, especially it's a lot of students that listen to this, is to understand you take advantage of those opportunities when you're a student because it's so true that they, you know, they taught us in college that when you're a student, you're not quote unquote competition. So everybody looks forward to helping you. Everybody mm -hmm. isn't like you and I, where once they're professionals, we're still going to help because we look at it as an opportunity to grow a network. Everybody don't look at it that way. They tend to oh, change yeah. up and switch up on you, you know, but, um, so you went into the corporate world, you went to Sandler training as a marketing communication specialist. Can you tell me about, can you talk about some of the highlights there? Because essentially you went in there and established things uh, and really taught the people in leadership how to really market themselves. Am I correct? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, what I did at Sandler, I started at entry level. So I think, I think it's important, especially since you say a lot of students listen to this, like, I didn't jump out there and be like, oh, yeah, I did this, and I worked with this artist, and I worked, and I did that, and I was, you know, over at BET, so I need to come in here and tell y'all how y'all supposed to do digital. No. <laughs> Absolutely. That's not how it go. I want people to, if they listening to it right now, that is not how it's go. It's going to go. No one, even when I become of a certain age, I hope nobody's still in my office thinking that when they just get out of college, that's how it's going to go. Because mm -hmm. in reality, 
I jumped into an entry level position that prepared me for everything I was doing after that on a different level. Like school gave me the foundation, the know-how, the professionalism, but the experience came at my first job, not at my internship. My experience came at my first job where I had to learn how to work with people, learn how to engage with different uh, types of people, whether it be CEOs or whether it be VPs on the executive level or someone just as, as small as a janitor that's coming by. Like, I, it just is a different experience when you're in the, in the work world. And so I absolutely jumped out of lifestyle entertainment because, um, like I said, I had started, it wasn't paying me or people didn't necessarily see that as a beat that really is as lucrative, right? If I was a political writer or um, writing about politics, then I would always have a job because I would always have some stories to tell. This was more so about music and it's more of an elective um, of storytelling, right? So... Um, to me, once I realized that, I, w- I also recognized that I did not, I no longer wanted to be the hard news reporter. I didn't want to be the anchor that delivers hard news at uh, Fox 45 News at 10. I didn't want to be the investigative journalist that had to stick a camera in the mom's face whose son just died from street violence. I did not want to be that person, and I saw a way better, more lucrative and exciting outlet with the birth of social media and the use of it for telling your own brand story, giving people control of conversation, and then also um, how the media was starting to use it, especially with Twitter um, coming out. So that was the next big thing, and we was tweeting like crazy back then, right? A lot of my Mm -hmm. friends also popped off there. So anyway, I say that to say that once I got into Sandler, it was a complete culture shock for me. Um, because I went from lifestyle entertainment to working in a very corporate environment where it was much run like a, and I love Sandler, by the way, uh, but it was much run like a small business. However, it's a global organization where they have over 250 franchisees across like 12 different countries or more. I'm probably not doing it justice. And I was starting to do marketing in, 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 um, email marketing, things like that for their franchisees over in different countries. So one of the things, I started out as entry-level position, but I think early on my uh, vice president, Rachel Miller, um, shout out to her, she actually put me um, in a position and, and, and saw me as an asset, bringing more creative ideas from a marketing standpoint of what's going on out in the space and how we can use it for our business. And I think that's what I was also good at. I was not necessarily stuck in only being able to market for lifestyle entertainment, but also being able to say, okay, you want to talk to people. The action is the same, but the 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 type of people you're talking to are different. So these are CEOs who have built their businesses and that and built millions of dollars, and now they want to start their own business. So they they don't care about the things that we care about in small business. They've already seen lots of money. So I needed to put that kind of thinking head on. I needed to realize who I was talking to, what their strengths and pains are. Um, and then on the flip side of that, and here's why I think it's important for people to really pay attention to their entry-level job. The flip side of that is that this company was a, a sales and leadership training organization. All we did was create um, materials based on a, a, a proving learning system, um, an intellectual property, 
for people and CEOs all over the world, imagine that, on how to lead, sell, and market themselves. So what I ended up doing was contributing to it or writing, marketing boot camp workbooks, because now there's emerging marketing things that need to happen in their marketing mix that they're unaware of before they were brochures and door-to-door and things like that and mailers and keeping their businesses alive with business relationships and learning how to teach people how to sell. But now they needed to learn how to get on Twitter. And that was a thing. And so that's where I came in. Little old, um, I came in as a, <clears throat> what they call a, a graphic support. My job was supposed to be able to do administrative work and graphics support. So they wanted me to know how to use Photoshop. That's where I started. And what I, you know, making, you know, pretty good for entry-level position at the time. But that's where I started. And at the end of it, I was helping them launch a UGC campaign. I had grown the CEO's Twitter by 300%. I had launched a email marketing campaign with them and their franchisees by finding the tool created a material and working with the StreamSend company to create materials specifically for our franchisees, distribute that information, and then host webinars and calls for them at different times of the day and in different, with different language barriers, whether it be from Spain to Belgium, um, and even some, some, some Canadian or um, Asian um, countries. So, it's just uh, it's interesting because I started very small there, but it grew once I started to not only be able to use some of the information that they were teaching me to bloom within my role, right? And, and it landed me really deeper into the marketing and advertising side of things, but also how to understand uh, where your marketing and sales pipeline um, meets to drive business. Wow. So you did that. And afterwards, you know, selfishly, one of the best things that happened to me was you came to Johns Hopkins. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember it was, you know, you came and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm be honest, say it like be point blank. Okay, there's another black person who's not on the media team here. Finally, that's great. And then, you know, we both found out we went to the same high school, which I knew you had looked familiar, but I wasn't 100% sure. And you know how, like, mm-hmm. when you out and about, you see somebody go to city, you're like, I think you, that person went to city. And at the time, I didn't have my um, ring. It didn't fit. But, you know, I lost some weight. Another thanks to you. Um, and uh, <laughs> showing off your healthy lifestyle. But, okay, you know, come on. one of the things, like I said, um, and I'm gonna be blank. I'm gonna be blunt. I'm about to say blank. I'm gonna be blunt. You come to Johns Hopkins. You showing the importance of collaboration. We have a marketing and communications team, and yeah, I'm still there. I'm not gonna get in trouble for what I'm about to say. But we're a marketing communications team. But everything's so siloed. You have the media team working over here. You got the social media team working over here. Then you had the video team doing this. Now, everybody knows that 
videos, where are they going to go? On social media. Hopkins isn't producing television. Where media team needs to connect with their Twitter account, um, having somebody on the social media team is going to help boost that relationship. So you and I there, I came um, that March, you got there that June, we were able to establish a rapport and a relationship to help everybody else understand the importance of merging together. Shout out to uh, my former manager, Dr. Audrey Wong. She said, and I'm, I'm saying this publicly, she said they were in a meeting. She heard you speak. Now, folks, let me just paint the picture here. <laughs> you have a meeting with a bunch of people talking and they going over strategies. And you probably have about maybe three or four black people in the room, if you're lucky. And I think that was probably dominated by white men. And then you have Brittany comes in there, and I'm pretty sure you looked at the graphics by now. If you listen to this podcast, you can tell she's an African-American woman. And she speaks with such dominance and commands the room to the point we're in a meeting, we're launching a precision medicine um launching a precision medicine initiative and the first thing dr wong said was we need the new woman on social media what's her name i said oh Brittany. yes we need her on the team so you talk about you know just being there and even if you want to talk about a lot of times having to go in the room and command respect from your peers mm. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> I could have sworn uh, I told you that story. That's what um, um, Doctor Wong said. I'm just, I'm humble from. I'm sorry that I'm speechless because I had. It's so interesting to know um, because sometimes things have a uh, has a have a way of making you feel like you're not doing what you are called or supposed to do, and to know or just be reminded in this moment that um, of that small gesture that was made in a meeting behind closed doors lets me know that the reputation preceded itself, but then also just is very, um, it's very kind of like, thank you, because the entire time I probably felt like I was not doing well. And sometimes um, there are things in your way to make you feel that way or um, to your point of, you know, having a, a stronger, more dominant personality can sometimes be seen as aggressive, can sometimes be seen as pushy. But in reality, it was just me trying to do what you hired me for and, 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 that, and actually going out there and really showing you that I I deserve the respect that I'm seeking. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, indeed, she was definitely there, Team Brittany. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, during my time, I really enjoyed what the Precision Medicine program was as well. Like during my time there, I will tell you this. Like I said, like it's so interesting looking back because each one, each one of these places, you have your good and your take, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so this is the second position that I was in professionally. Um, again, I'm out of the, the internet entertainment and lifestyle space, and then I'm into, you know, healthcare. And it's 
super corporate because to be, to be honest with you, the people at Hopkins are really smart, right? They're really, really, really smart. So if you thought you were doing something before you got there, understand you're going to learn so much more because they are the best of the best of the best working, right? And so a part of me was kind of like, wow, I've gotten hired amongst the best of the best of the best. But when I was there, I realized how much I probably did not know, right? But that at the same time, um, sometimes we dig our heads so deep into the comp, the, the computing, and I and I think doctors do this sometimes. Um, doctors are great; they they do fascinating work, and especially those at hospitals do phenomenal work that affect us and and people all over the world. But also, that we tend, they can tend to get so deep into the science of it all, to the analytics of it all, that you forget that the best part of marketing is connecting with people. And I always tell people, you do not, you can create the system to maintain the channels. You can create the system. You can create this cookie cutter way to be able to say, yes, we've hit this goal. Yes, we've hit that goal to maintain the job. But at the heart of it all, for me. Um, which I which I sometimes would be missing in that space is the the creativity or the little areas where we could do creative things that really connect with people and made an impact going viral. The stuff that goes viral is the stuff that connects with people naturally, right? So that's what I think was the the um, the hardest part for me adjusting is that I went from an organization that was being kind of a a, a smaller organization that still ran itself with relationship based to a team and organization that was so it's so big it's so vast that it's just it's very much a a system to maintain it all and they do a good job at it um they've cracked the code of creating and maintaining the system and that part i learned from them i learned how to scale between small business and global organizations and how to still maintain you know, social media pages and platforms. I was one person maintaining the like five or six different platforms in terms of the schedule. And it was very hard to do. Um, and then not to mention that we had rotations um, for how we manage um, the channel and, and after hours because social media doesn't sleep. People are talking all the time and brands are expected to respond, especially if your brand is um, being tagged in the middle of the day, but when you, you monitor and it is east, Eastern time, and the person that's talking to you is, you know, in Cambodia somewhere in a whole other time zone. So it's just, you just have to kind of create systems in place for a team. And we were a team of like five people um, mm -hmm. maintaining the social media, the paid advertising of a, a significant budget and paid advertising and ads for every single last um every single last like m medical uh situation you can think of whether it be neurosurgery or <laughs> whether it be or whether it be plastic surgery like every single piece um and at the same time still collaborating and sharing information with other teams who are doing the same thing on the university side or anything else so this is quite vast in a different space so i learned quite a bit from those experiences um and I learned quite a bit about maintaining um, marketing activities at that vast scale. Um, but I also learned a lot about myself 
how to play with others, how to play a game, how to really kind of how corporate America really works and stuff that they don't tell you about in school. Um, that was definitely the place for me that helped prime me for, for future opportunities where I would succeed having had gone through some of the things that I went through there. Now, one of the things that I want people to understand is taking what you, taking your passion and applying it to corporate. So I, you know, for, um, for me, I've been able to take a lot of the video content, the cool stuff that I would do at ESPN and use it for Johns Hopkins. Can you talk about the time when you was able to collaborate with Freeway, getting him to like mm. follow us on social media? Because a lot of times, you know, people may think, yeah, right, that's impossible. But there's always a way where you can kind of merge two worlds. Mhm, mhm. And oh my goodness, that was so interesting because when I was there, I felt like I was living a double life, like a double agent. Because <laughs> at the time, I was like moonlighting for lifestyle. I was still like doing or taking little side jobs and activities for, like you said, freeway. So I um met freeway through um one of my mentors, Frank Johnson, at an event and. Um, kept in touch with him and his manager. And I think once, I think what happened was I got wind that Freeway had a kidney disease. And that was a huge thing that was slowing him down um, in terms of just, you know, in terms of the, on the music side of things, he was really taking precautions with his health. And I think um, during a conversation, I learned that he was coming into town for the um, kidney foundation walk and I reached out just randomly just decided why not like I'm saying at this point in my career I'm like let's go for it I can do this I got you know a marketing down pack I'm on the John Hopkins level so I, if I want to do something lifestyle I'll get back into it my hip-hop clear passion brand I need to do these things um in the evening when lifestyle is happening and so at night I would come home and I would work on projects like uh, organize and a walk for him because he had his Philly team that was going to come down as he was um, being uh, a sponsor for this um, this organization, a walk that was happening over at UNBC. And then also he was going to be doing a, a free concert for it, everyone that walked. And, and so, but they didn't really, I mean, they could have gotten it together, but they weren't looking to organize necessarily a huge walk there wasn't a huge budget behind it it was just more so him promoting that he was coming to walk but what I ended up doing was organizing all the influences I said hey well why don't you just get everybody in Baltimore to walk with you that'd be dope it'd be a good look and the people who are invited to come out and walk will come and do it because I mean you're freeway like everybody loves freeway here in Baltimore <laughs> you know so why don't we just do it and they were like you know Sherman was like I like where you're thinking let's go with it so I literally just started, started with a few emails um, being sent out. I reached out to the local stations and things like that. Um, I reached out to some of the people that I had known and relationships that I had grown um, from prior. And I then realized that he was his, once I told him that I worked at Hopkins, he was like, oh my goodness, that's where, um, that's the um, doctor, I think it's Dr. 
I don't know if it was a guest. He's not there anymore. But at the time, he was a transplant doctor. And he was preparing Freeway for his transplant. Um, and I, I, I forgot what the actual um, purpose was for, but we ended up walking for the kidney walk. But I believe we were looking at, from a crossover for Hopkins, we were looking at leveraging him to be a uh, story that we told on the media side. And I'm not sure that I stayed long enough to see that happen, but I do know that he did an interview or included doctor, the doctor, and, I, and you have to correct me on the doctor's name, Brian, but um, he, huh? I said Dr. Segev, Dr. Dory Segev. Okay. Yeah, okay, so I, I was, it wasn't, I said Segev, but Segev, Dr. Dory Segev. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. so Dr. Dory Segev was included in the film because the other thing behind that, why he wanted to take advantage, and I would say he wanted to take advantage, but I would say that it was perfect timing for him is that he had been documenting his experience with this disease in a documentary of his own. And during the walk, he had a small viewing of everybody who walked with him to come and see the taping of this, this film. And then in Dr. Um, Give was actually um, in that film on that end. But I'm not sure if you guys created any uh, materials after that, but that is where the relationship came we from. We didn't. We didn't. Unfortunately, you know, that's a, you know, a whole nother story. But I, I always thought that was interesting. And here's the thing, like, folks, so me and Brittany was able to create an instant friendship and very rare will we talk strategy after work. You know what I mean? Like we would, we might call each other invent later, but there was very rare. But I remember that day, it was like seven at night. He was like, yo, yo, guess what? I just talked the freeway. Yada, yada, yada. I was like, oh, wow. And I remember when we, you know, going back to work, like the next couple of days, shout out to Marin Hadeen, um, who was the assistant director? Well, she still is, but um, my direct manager. Um, she had even I told her, you know, obviously she know who Freeway is, um, and she was excited. And Audrey knew who Free, Doctor Wong knew who Freeway was too. So, you know, that was a um, to me that was a uh, you know it was like a highlight point. You know what I mean? Because it to me what it showed was if y'all just let Brittany do what she do we can go places, you know, unfortunately we weren't on the same exact team. If we were, you know, obviously it would have been a different story, but you know, you was on the internet marketing team, but unfortunately for me, you left. <laughs> and I was like, man, <laughs> like I got hit, got hit with a ton of bricks. You're gone. But even though it sucked, what was made me so happy was the fact that you would become the brand marketing manager for DTLR. And like I told you, when you told me about it, I said, that was you. Like the Hopkins stuff was cool. You know, you was doing your thing. But to me, DTLR was like, that had you, your name all over it. And I know you've been able to do some stuff as far as what I've been really enjoying as an HBCU grad is the HBCU tours that you guys do. I'm gonna be honest with you. So like around like football season during that homecoming stretch y'all been doing, I'm like, a, um, 
I'm I'm like on your Instagram stories following, like I feel like I'm there. <laughs> just like, okay, so what's this campus look like? And what's that campus look like? But can you just talk about like just some of the highlights and you know, being a because another thing is people when they think of like DTLR, Foot Locker, stuff, they think of the retail stores. Yeah, some people I think a lot of our target audience will think outside of the box, but in case they don't, can you kind of like let them know about opportunities being a brand marketing manager for um, a culture, uh, you know, culture filled place like DTLR? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, was, it was definitely me. Uh, I definitely am super grateful that God put me in this position to be able to do this. Like I know that I've done work, but I, it definitely was him. Um, it was a, a pretty much like a six month, almost like almost a year process or when they started making shifts and changes to when I actually started. So that was a huge, um, a huge blessing because it just, I remember telling my friend, Hey, I remember sitting on my friend's porch and my best friend's porch and telling um, another city grad, my uh, friend Alex, I think he was in your class. No, 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 he was in a class um, younger than you. But I remember he was like, what you got going on, Brett? And I said, man, I am like two seconds away from, I believe, accepting the position. And I'm trying to tell you, if I take this position, it's going to be exactly what I needed in life to be able to not, no longer live a double lifestyle to to truly market and create the way that I have always wanted to by tying grassroots marketing and digital marketing and media together to make, you know, fantastic campaigns, but also just doing it for an organization of people that I cared about and felt passionate about and really loved doing. And this was a perfect mix for me. Um, and so I was just so grateful. I was like, this is going to change my life forever. And so, and it has. I, the beat to be in this role is to um, barter relationships and things like that to create um, funding for some of the campaigns that we're doing or activations that you may see in the HBCU Toilet Convention is one of those activations. Um, they have been doing this for five years or more, um, and I did it for the last two years. Um, in the last two years, we I've teamed up with uh, Levi. Um, who had not done it or tapped into the space before, and then also was the brand another brand partner, Adidas. And these are partners that we work with um, because we have what we call co-op, and which is common in retail, and that is basically where you work with your brand partners that you carry um, the product in your store. Because DTLR is such a, a vast, successful um, organization then we had they create that opportunity there for us to be able to bring some of these brand partners to our communities in which we have stores and, and the way that we do that is through our community outreach um, activations and some of our marketing activations um, and that was like the best part of my job I felt like I got to go in into the communities and affect people um, that I know really appreciate it and that I know cared about it and it was just an awesome experience. So with HBCU tour, the first year we brought, um, the first year that I did it, we did a customization station where we gave away at least 100 jackets or denim jackets or more to students and alumni um, 
at their uh, homecoming where we brought out, we wrapped our Airstream and had some premium branding, things like that, um, and then engaged the audiences, the audiences on those campuses. Um, for the second year, um, and that was a great exposure for Levi's for that one. For the second year that I did it, um, we had Adidas, which I was very excited about, where we did a tour, and th this tour, um, we reached uh, several schools, at least six schools um, to be exact, including Morgan State, and we brought out our Airstream, but this time we did it with our label partner in a different way, where instead of having performances on the campuses during this time, we did a activation where you come onto the Airstream into the studio and you get to listen to unreleased music. And that was something that, to be honest with you, I saw done in a small scale, but it wasn't a tour type of thing. It was like at a pop-up activation at CompostCon. And I was like, that would be awesome to, to do. I know we could do it because we have awesome relationships. Let's try to really um, create a fun, engaging activa activation that could be tracked. It's, it's now because people care about music and streaming and they want to hear stuff first. Um, and they wouldn't be able to get it anywhere else because where else are you going to be able to sit in the studio like with your favorite, favorite artist and listen to um, songs that they didn't put out? And, and some of the campuses, the artists would be already in the area, so they would come by and drop by our activation and, and sit in on some of the listening sessions. So it was very cool for people to come in on a listening session and then all, all of a sudden the artist who they're listening to pops on and listens with them and, and gets to hear whether or not they give it one stripe, two stripes, or three. Shout out to Adidas. So <laughs> that was, okay. <laughs> That, I'm trying to tell you, one day, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the living room with my boyfriend, AJ, and his cousin, Josh, and I was like, oh, my God, we got it. This is what we're going <laughs> to This is, guess how we're going to do this. We're going to rate it, rate it with the stripes. And, I mean, it just starts to really come together. But at first, I'm trying to tell you the story behind that, though. We were turning that thing around in 30 days, and, and it started with the design. So shout out to the designer, Brandon Graham who really worked on a, a cool aesthetic that was inspired by a composition book um, or composition book marble um, pattern. And he upgraded that. He wrapped our entire Airstream with it and we added three stripes and it just, well, the branding was on point. The, you know, we didn't scream, pick us, pick us, we're here. But we did add in elements of both of our brands into that campaign. And I think the students and the partners truly enjoyed it oh wow now at dtlr do you do any um like hands-on video editing or um photoshop i know you have skills in those areas but do you uh do you still as even though you're brand marketing manager do you have to like kind of get your hands dirty with that part or that's strictly so, my own so, so no actually um no nope so because that's not my, now that's not my wheelhouse, I have, but she gave mm -hmm. me the knowledge to do it. And so I know the foundations of what we learned in class, what it's supposed to be and what I've done in the past. But now I'm at a level, you know, I went from entry level and now I'm at a manager level. Yeah, where I don't got to do that <laughs> No, <laughs> no, but it's, at my, it's not that it's more so now I kind of oversee how we do it. My job is mainly to maintain a relationship and make sure that the brands are happy with what we come up with, to make sure that, you know, 
I'm more project managing. So it's not just the design piece or just the video that has to go with it. It's my job to help come up with and organize the entire marketing strategy and manage the pieces that are executed to get the get it done. If I specifically pitch a particular idea or campaign, something it's very much like in-house agency work where you're pitching something and they have to like it. And if they say, okay, yeah, I like this, you know what? So for X amount of dollars, I'll go ahead and I'll buy into that idea. Well, great. But now I have to make sure that we do everything that they're getting, that they they were promised. And we have to make sure that we are doing it ethically and correctly and, and that they are um, getting trackable data. And that's where my um, skill set and some of the other stuff with creating content, but also the analytics of it all, which is a lot of it, I was able to polish in my um, tenure at Hopkins with all that analytical and scientific approach of how to manage data and apply it to what we're doing and what we're seeing in actionable marketing um, um, tactics that return in a, uh, give you a return on your investment. And so that's where I was able to connect dots and as a brand marketing manager, I can go back and say, hey, let me see the data for this over here. Let me see with a video. Well, how about, you know what, what we're noticing over here is that the videos that are performing better um, are videos that, that for our particular audience are going to be the videos where we get to put our own influencers and our own people in them. So if you're sending me assets that you've already done or created, doesn't speak to my audience, I need to recreate something. And then we can put the money behind it, and then your video and your content is going to perform better for our channel. And so that those kind of conversations or decisions, though, are only really – are only really, you know, made when you're having a discussion about how stuff is performing. And I think that's really where I come in and where some of my strengths are, it's really kind of drawing or connecting those dots between the grassroots and the digital and how to apply it. Now, what would you say, um, what would you say, what skills are Johns Hopkins? And um I'm sorry, I just forgot the name of the um, the previous company as well. What skills helped you prepare and allow you to apply a DTLR? I'm sorry, say one more time. What skills from your two previous jobs? What skills have you been able to take from there and apply that to your mm -hmm. current role at DTLR? Whether it's our hands-on skills or people skills, like what are some skills that you've been able to take from? your previous companies and apply it to your current uh, company? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, at Sandler, it was both the importance of uh, relationship building, knowing how to speak to people where they are, understanding, you know, not to talk around a bunch of fluff that they don't want to hear, but understanding where their pain points are and being able to have, have conversation that wins every single time. Right, they are big on that. I, I recommend you guys go read a book called um, Sales the Sandler Way. Take a look at Sandler Training. They have some really good material to that. Well, not just, it, it'll, it'll help you in sales and marketing, but the skills that they teach you help you in life. And, and I would recommend anyone taking the training class in that any day. Um, that was just the culture of it all. And, and one example would be before you even get hired for that company, they make you take a disc test to identify your personality, not because they want to know who's coming in. Well, yeah, they want to know who's coming in, but not because it's going to weigh in on whether or not you get the job, 
but it just helps them to understand how you think before you even get there. So they know how to deliver information to you so we don't have any problem in gray areas. And that is so key in communication. And now that I think like that, I just kind of, instead of getting upset for when people kind of look at me a certain way, I kind of just look at them for who they are, what they are, and then I go and speak to them the way that I think they want to hear the information. Um, I think that skill set is, is super important, and it's I will never forget that, and it will take me everywhere. Um, the other skill set, I would say, is the importance of relationship building because in business, um, and then not burning the bridge because I have seen it already in my, the, the, the time that I've been a professional now in the last 10 years, which is not a lot in, compar- in comparison to a lot of our mentors or the great, but they, I've seen people come full circle already. So you never want to burn a bridge or turn things down because in times where, you know, something, the grass seems greeny on the other side, you never know, man, you could have always come back. That organization always never forgot their best players and they always keep keep a place at home for them so even if they don't have an opening for you i guarantee you if they love what you did for their company and you needed to come back it would create a space for you and i just think that's excellent business um then from hopkins i say i I have to say it again um hopkins was just so detail-oriented in how to scale for business on a large scale. And it really opened up my eyes to how, like, you really don't understand. Like, we used to teach people at uh, Sandler, our training to teach people how to scale their business to the next level, right? But people don't really know what it looks like until they've seen it. And so when I got to Hawkins, I finally saw it, what it looks like for a team of five to scale, to scale uh, marketing requests, the social media requests, from an organization of over, I don't know, 100,000 people and employees, right? <laughs> All across the globe. So it's, it's a, a, a totally different type of thinking um, when you're thinking about the decisions that are made in your organization and how you respond to them because you got to understand they're not making decisions for you and your two coworkers or your two cubicles next to you. They're making for you and the entire organization. Um, and so that really opened up my eyes because I'm noticing with people who, and I don't mean this in any way other than experience takes you a long way when you've seen different things. You don't know what you don't know. But I have peers who have never been in a, a global organization, who have never been in an organization where it's huge amounts of employees and people on the floor. And so every little thing they think they take it personally because Small businesses have time to allow you to take it personally. But when you get slapped in the face with reality of you're one out of 500 employees who make help make this train go, <laughs> you know, you kind of have a little bit of a different perspective on business and how to conduct yourself in, this, in any of those spaces and how not to really take it personally. And I think that is the biggest thing that I took from them was how to really get down to the detail-oriented things that make the train go. Um, You've got to have that routine and that system to keep it all together. Otherwise, your scale is going to break. But also understand that what comes with that as well is not always the personal relationships with your leaders being able to bust in their offices and say, hey, I got this idea. That's not going to happen in a space like that. People don't have time. And that was definitely something I was able to take. So when I got into new places, uh, places of business or in different spaces, 
um, after that, I wasn't offended when my CEO didn't have time to talk to me. He's the, he's the CEO. <laughs> so that's just some of the things that I kind of took from those places. Now, the one thing, and I'm going to tie this back to Hopkins because I'm going to be real, and you don't have to comment if you don't have, want to, but you're allowed to be unapologetically black in your position now. But one of the things that I was always able to appreciate was, while you know, we got a code switch sometimes, and we spoke about it earlier, uh, about being that not intimidating person in the room. But can you just like mm-hmm. emphasize like just the importance of remaining true to yourself when you're in, no matter where you are? Oh, yes, absolutely. I have to say I love working um, for an organization like DTLR. And I want to tell you why. It's because there's so much diversity there. It's ridiculous. There are people that come every year. We have this thing called the manager's meeting where we meet people from all different walks of life, all different areas, Texas. Um, you know, they're coming from New York, Rochester, they're coming from Miami, where they're kind of laid back and cool and the sun is shining. Like, you get to meet and, and, and work with them every year, right? And so you find out that their stories are different, what's going on in their area is different, what's a trend is different because, you know, broken down by region. And it's just really a really cool experience. What I'll say is I've never felt more at home, though. I will say I never felt like I could wear my natural hair and it not be considered undone in a space. I never feel like, you know, that I cannot go into certain meetings with a high, a high, nicely edges laid, edges would be laid regardless, okay, face would be beat. However, I would be able to still brush my hair up into a nicely laid professional high pineapple puff, okay? I would never be able to do that in a in a in a uh, a different corporate environment where they just don't understand that part of culture. And I and I don't I don't mean to say it in any other way other than it's not considered professional on a on a on a vast scale. Other people will be looking at like who is this little girl with this high ponytail puff? You know what I mean? Sitting in our corporate meeting. And <laughs> and the reality is nothing we can do about it because it's just the way our hair is. Like, I don't know how else to explain it to you, right? So I feel comfortable wearing my high puff in my office and still being respected for what I have in my brain um, versus it being considered that I look undone or unprofessional. I love people not coming and asking me when I have different styles of hair because in different areas, you know, in, in our culture, we know that in that lifestyle and culture, it's very common for you to switch up your hair. You, you know what I mean? You might have the weave, you might have the puff. You might have braids. You might have this. It's just a part of our culture to switch it up like that. It's not even, it doesn't mean you need the hair. It doesn't mean you ain't got no hair. It just literally is like a trend. Today, I want to wear these tennis shoes. Today, I want to wear this hair. So, <laughs> like, that's really what it is. And a lot of people don't even realize that's what the Kardashians do. That's what all your, that's what Madonna was doing. That's what, you know, people just switch it up because we can in these days and times, right? And you feel comfortable and you get to have that be all a part of your style. But in another setting, you know, I've had, I've been in a setting where I've had braids or something and I've been asked, can I touch it? Can I just look and see what's that? I'm just curious as if I'm a specimen. And that's a completely different feeling. It's so different when you have to explain 
any and every little piece about your culture versus where it's just commonly understood or not questioned at all. So I think that is one thing that I really appreciate about the environment. Um, the culture shock isn't different. I don't feel like I'm moonlighting, having to be one person in the daytime and a different person at night. <laughs> um, although I could always snap it right back, put on the dress, and come send me a meeting. Um, <laughs> I just like not necessarily having to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the name of the show is Breaking Through the Glass Ceilings. When was the moment when you broke through the glass ceiling where you realized I'm good at what I do? I am here. There was no turning back. There was no second guessing yourself. Obviously, you you know you're a brand marketing manager, and I know you want to do even bigger things, doing big things now. But when was the moment when you decided, like, when you realized, like, I'm in my space. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, for sure. When I got hired um, at DTLR, um, the amount of response from my peers once I got there, it was crazy. So many people were like, man, hip hop. Oh, I'm so happy, man. That's a, you know, they got a good choice. I'm happy they chose you. Like people were really excited and really excited for what the, what they were getting ready to do out of that department when they found out um, that I was going to be a part of that team. And it made me feel good, um, both from inside the organization and outside the organization. That was the response that I got. And that's when I really realized, like, oh, wow, whomever has been talking, whatever has been said, whatever was whispering in someone's ear, it was, it was enough to land you here. And it was literally only because of the work that you have done and because your reputation precedes you. And that's what made me feel like, okay. Everything that I did from the entry level position to the web from the daggone websites on Black Planet and the MySpace to the running and ripping and running around trying to interview artists and feeling like it was leading nowhere to the learning how to edit video and use it to learning how to uh, scale business and talk to people differently and communicate to to learning how to use analytics and apply it in marketing in a certain kind of way or scaling it from a small business to a global business. Like each of those little pillars or little stairs on the stairwell were bringing me closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to now. And there's still some more to do, but this was like a milestone for me. This was like, okay, finally, it all made sense now. All of the free work I was doing, all of the work that I wasn't getting paid to do um, to my full potential, now is the time where it all mattered and, and rolled up into something that was exactly packaged and put together for me. And God was like, here you go. This is what it was for. And that's, that's, that's really, truly how I feel about um, achieving and getting into that role. Wow, that's amazing. Now, before I get you out of here, I got to talk about your Instagram series where, and why did the name, I just had it. I kept saying, because I wasn't going to forget to ask you and I just, <laughs> forgive me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you host the Instagram series, uh, Digital Marketing Live, right? Isn't that what it's called? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
And um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be on there, but can you just talk about because to me it's it's like you're doing the same thing I'm doing, and that's providing people with free advice, free content. You've had some of the biggest names in this space on there. I can tell you, like one of the things that I've been using, I don't do I don't edit Instagram photos no more because I was watching your show. If I mess up the mm. caption, I delete it. Because mm-hmm. I forgot the young lady's name, and you can Melissa go ahead. And Michelle. Yes, she said that like Instagram will then like I think this like blacklist that post, so it's yep. not seen as much. So I'm I told people I went to church, but this one I was at uh, the Church of Redeem. I was doing social media for them, and I said, "No, we're not editing posts. We're deleting and we're posting again." They said, "Why?" I said, "Because you know I was watching." Uh, my friend Brittany, Hip Hop Cleopatra, you know, I had to throw the plug in there and I okay. let them know what you had said, what you had was able to relate. So can you just talk about your passion behind that series and, you know, your ideas and, you know, just talk about it? Yeah, man, I think that um, I think I, I, I wanted to th- I wanted to provide something that for, for free. Um, for people to really help them to conceptualize some of these ideas because the, the, the playground of marketing and advertisement is shifting so much, changing, here's one toy over here, a new toy over there. You don't know where to go run and play it. And so I wanted to kind of put something together so that people can receive the information bite-sized and help them understand it for their small businesses. Who really has time or budget to market when they're trying to run, run a small business? And that's where I really thought that I could give back um, so Digital Marketing Live was a part of uh, efforts to, for me, one, to keep my brand out there and to also um, stay relevant on topics and also continue to keep my, my name out there as a credible source in, this, in that space, um, making sure that I maintain my credibility um, and knowledge base, but also to highlight some of the people that I know that are awesome that I've worked with over the years, like who may not also be um, be trying to get in front of folks, but I know that they're the person, the mastermind behind this campaign and it wouldn't have happened without them. And you guys really should know, you know, your favorite artists didn't put together their marketing campaign. It was these great people behind the, behind the doors. And I wanted to get that information out there, um, highlight some folks that I thought were awesome at what they do. And then also, serve people who are looking for bite-sized uh, pieces of information um, that they can use in everyday marketing as they're doing it themselves. And then I'll be top of mind for when you want to actually pay someone to do it. <laughs> so Digital Marketing Live is free because I'm not looking for the money now. I'm looking for you to, one, realize how fast things are changing, but also to, you know, maybe you'll meet somebody who you want to work on user services um, on my show. So, um, I do it in a seasonal time. It's not consistent. And I think I will be launching that again very soon, along with listen live. Well, I certainly can't wait for that. Um, I tell you all the time, you know, by the time we met, I kind of got out of the hip hop genre of music. I keep my ear in it just to see like, you know, if you're going out, you can't go out and not know some of the songs, you know, or like when you go to the NABJ convention, there's always a party there and then you start hearing the music and then something catches your ear. But I've always said that like 
you would always keep me up to date with like, oh, check this person out though, or check that person out. Like you are it's no it, the name hip hop Cleopatra isn't uh just a gimmick, it's who you are. Um and before we get out of here, what would you say has been the highlight of your career thus far? The highlight of my career? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I would, the highlight of my career has been thus far, and, I, and I've already said it, and I, I don't know anyone, I don't know anything, oh my gosh. I don't want to pick any one moment because there's so many moments, but I'll tell you. Well, name them. Name them. The, <laughs> but I mean, the biggest, the biggest one is that when you ask me, you know, when did you feel like you arrived, right? Or when did you feel like you've done something in, in, that, in that regard? And I want to say that so many people do things aimlessly, not really necessarily knowing what's going to happen at the end, just, just keeping up the faith and, and, and working in their passion and man, hoping to manifest at a later time what they truly want. And to me, the highlight of my career is having have done all of that and actually seeing something come from it. Because there's so many people in my space who do it and they don't see what they really wanted to get out of it and they give up or they switch and go do something else. And maybe they have success over there. But for me, I felt like I even took a break from a little bit of space and whole time didn't even realize that I was, when I thought I was taking a break for something, I was really, God was putting me in a position to, to further myself and further prepare me for what I was supposed to have the entire time. And, and I, it's not that I gave up or took a break. It's just that my journey was a little bit different. And to me, that is to actually see it in my lifetime is a highlight because I can tell you I didn't think I would actually see any of the things that any of the seeds that I planted come into fruition. And then I'm just seeing seeds pop up all over the place. And the whole time I didn't know that I touched a person like that that they thought about me later in life or, um, you know, even with you, all everything that you and I ever did together at work was genuinely because I wanted to do great work with you, not because I thought that later on you would ask me to be a part of your show. You know what I mean? So it's just like that to me, makes it all worth it um but in terms of like events i don't know brian i have to <laughs> 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 i don't even i i'll I, I tell you this i can tell you this. Oh, oh, here's another one i never i remember being class president at city college and thinking and how i would introduce the new hall of famer or this person or that person to come back and speak. And I always said, I'm going to do something great in life so they can come ask me to come back and speak at my high school. Mm. And last year, I swear, every time, because I was class president, I always had to introduce someone, a guest speaker, this or that, somebody that did, that graduated class or whatever, and they had did this and did that in their lives, and we were asking them to come back, or they wrote a book. And I was like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be one of somebody that they asked to come back. I wanted to be, I wanted to come back. Never did I think it was going to happen so soon. They asked me to come back to speak at, um, to, to the senior last, last year. Yep. Last year. Wow. And, um, and that right there was a full circle moment for me. That right there was probably the highlight. That's when I was like, okay, you have arrived. You've been asked to come back and speak. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
So that was super, super humbling to me and made me, like I said, full circle. Um, I That's... hope that answers the question. I, I don't know yeah. if you were looking for specific specific events or things no like that. <laughs> no that's you know that's the highlights um you know like i said Brittany, i really appreciate you taking the time out and come on here i knew we was gonna have fun and you know i hope you had yes. fun as much as i did uh i'm excited for everybody to hear this and hear your story because the fact of the matter is like i said you've been a tremendous blessing to my career and it's a lot of things, you know, just even if without the, the support, we don't win the double AMC award at Johns Hopkins. It's just a fact, you know, um, that support from the enterprise account helped the numbers go up. You know, maybe we, who knows? I don't know. I don't think. And that's what I said, you know, especially when a lot of times where it was frowned upon. And it was like, well, why do they want to work with you? Why why are they choosing you? And I'll go ahead and say it. They was probably thinking, oh, he only wants to work with her because she's the black person on the team. And it wasn't even like that. It was just we were in similar positions, similar roles. You have the audience that we were trying to get to. You remember when you started, we was at about, what? we had just got to a thousand followers when you had started. And now that account has over 12,500 followers. So, but it was that foundation when you were there that helped, you know, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Here's some tools, uh, especially when it came to uh, reporting and, you know, reporting to management stuff. So, you know, I definitely had to publicly thank you. Obviously I've done it a gazillion times, but I wanted the people to know who you were. Uh, Let the people know where they can find you. Yes, so you can find me um, at Hip Hop Cleopatra on everything and hiphopcleopatra.com, Hip Hop Cleopatra on Instagram, Hip Hop Cleopatra on Twitter, Hip Hop. Oh, and then also my merch for um, if you want to support Listen Live, Digital Marketing Live, or anything that I do, okay, please purchase an OK mug, shirt, or sticker at shopwithhiphop.com. You know, it's funny because um, when I got my mug, right, I was like, mm-hmm. I was, you know, kind of waving it around the office. <laughs> and that was because you would always say, okay. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I had to buy it. I was, and I just, as we was just, you was going through it, I was like, God dang it. I, that's the one thing I did leave at work. Um, I don't know when I'm going to get back in the office, but I was like, shoot, I should have grabbed it just to have it at home as opposed to just having it at work. But um, I definitely appreciate you and coming I really on. I appreciate you buying one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I get another one. So that's all. <laughs> I really appreciate it. That made my day. If you don't understand how exciting that is, if your friends have something, man, just support it. That's like music to our ears. Like, thank you. You thought of me. <laughs> Here's the thing. You gotta you you have you need a mug if you want to drink coffee or tea. You might as well buy one that your friend with your friend's name on it. You're gonna go out to the store and buy a random one with a random design. You don't know who created it, don't know what they even stand for. They could be somebody who has a different mindset than you. So it's just like t-shirts. I wear a t-shirt, why not support your friends? Okay, exactly. <laughs> I, my sentiments exactly. 
Yeah. That's why I'm excited about it. Yeah, but thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Brian. And definitely lovely show. I love it. Um, I hope wish you much more success going forward with the show. Thank you. All right, folks. I hope you got as much out of that interview as I did. Now you see why I said Brittany had a huge impact on my career. Next week, I'm bringing on somebody who I've recently been connected to, and that is the one and only Professor Taylor Shaw. Taylor is a professor, but she's also a social media specialist, also in healthcare. So she's going to come on and talk about the importance of mentoring and teaching, how much she enjoys it, but also how she's made her wave in the social media world so ladies and gentlemen make sure you subscribe to the podcast and remember do not let anybody put up a glass ceiling that you can't break through this podcast is brought to you by b waters productions it is produced and edited by myself brian h waters with the music brought to you by hypnosis you can find hypnosis on instagram